Miscellaneous Essays by Thomas de Quincey The Vision of Sudden Death, Part 2, Dream Fugue on Part 1 This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, visit LibriVox.org Dream Fugue on the above theme of sudden death Whence the sound of instruments that made melodious chime was heard of harp and organ, and who moved their stops and chords was seen, his volant touch instinct, through all proportions low and high, fled and pursued traverse the resonant fugue. Paradise Lost, Book 40. Tumultuosissimamente. Passion of sudden death, that once in youth I read and interpreted by the shadows of thy averted signs. Footnote, averted signs. I read the course and changes of the lady's agony in the succession of her involuntary gestures. But let it be remembered that I read all this from the rear, never once catching the lady's full face, and even her profile imperfectly. End of note. Rapture of panic taking the shape, which amongst tombs and churches I have seen, of woman bursting her sepulchral bonds, of woman's ionic form bending forward from the ruins of her grave with arching foot, with eyes upraised, with clasped adoring hands, waiting, watching, trembling, praying for the trumpet's call to rise from the dust forever. Ah, vision too fearful of shuddering humanity on the brink of abysses, vision that didst start back, that didst reel away, like a shriveling scroll from before the wrath of fire racing on the wings of the wind, epilepsy so brief of horror, wherefore is it that thou canst not die, passing so suddenly into darkness, wherefore is it still thou sheddest, thy sad funeral blights upon the gorgeous mosaics of dreams. Fragment of music too stern, heard once and heard no more, that aileth thee, that thy deep rolling chords come up at intervals through all the worlds of sleep, and after thirty years have lost no element of horror. 1. Lo, it is summer, almighty summer. The everlasting gates of life and summer are thrown open wide, and on the ocean, tranquil and verdant as a savanna, the unknown lady from the dreadful vision and I myself are floating, she upon a fairy pinance, and I upon an English three-decker. But both of us are wooing gales of festal happiness within the domain of our common country, within that ancient watery park, within that pathless chase where England takes her pleasure as a huntress through winter and summer, and which stretches from the rising to the setting sun. Ah, what a wilderness of floral beauty was hidden, or was suddenly revealed upon the tropic islands through which the pinnace moved. And upon her deck what a bevy of human flowers, young women how lovely, young men how noble, that were dancing together and slowly drifting towards us amidst music and incense, amidst blossoms from forests, and gorgeous corimbi from vintages, amidst natural caroling and the echoes of sweet girlish laughter. Slowly the pinnace nears us, 
Gaily she hails us, and slowly she disappears beneath the shadow of our mighty boughs. But then, as at some signal from heaven, the music and the carols and the sweet echoing of girlish laughter all are hushed. What evil has smitten the pinnace, meeting or overtaken her? Did ruin to our friends couch within our own dreadful shadow? Was our shadow the shadow of death? I looked over the bow for an answer, and behold, the pinnace was dismantled. The revel and the revelers were found no more. The glory of the vintage was dust, and the forest was left without a witness to its beauty upon the seas. But where, and I turned to our own crew, where are the lovely women that danced beneath the awning of flowers and clustering corumbi? Whither have fled the noble young men that danced with them? Answered there was none. But suddenly the man at the masthead, whose countenance darkened with alarm, cried out, Sail on the weather beam! Down she comes upon us! In seventy seconds she will founder! 2. I looked to the weather side, and the summer had departed. The sea was rocking, and shaken with gathering wrath. Upon its surface sate mighty mists, which grouped themselves into arches and long cathedral aisles. Down one of these, with the fiery pace of a quarrel from a crossbow, ran a frigate right athwart our course. Are they mad? some voice exclaimed from our deck. Are they blind? Do they woo their ruin? But in a moment, as she was close upon us, some impulse of a heady current or a sudden vortex gave a wheeling bias to her course, and off she forged without a shock. As she ran past us, high aloft amongst the shrouds, stood the lady of the pinnace. The deeps opened ahead in malice to receive her. Towering surges of foam ran after her. The billows were fierce to catch her. But far away she was borne into desert spaces of the sea, while still by sight I followed her, as she ran before the howling gale, chased by angry seabirds and by maddening billows. Still I saw her, as at the moment when she ran past us, amongst the shrouds, with her white draperies streaming before the wind, there she stood with her hair disheveled, one hand clutched amongst the tackling, rising, sinking, fluttering, trembling, praying. There for leagues I saw her as she stood, raising at intervals one hand to heaven amidst the fiery crests of the pursuing waves and the raving of the storm until at last, upon a sound from afar of malicious laughter and mockery, all was hidden forever in driving to showers, and afterwards, but when I know not, and how I know not. 3. Sweet funeral bells from some incalculable distance, wailing over the dead that die before the dawn, awakened me as I slept in a boat moored to some familiar shore. The morning twilight even then was breaking, and by the dusky revelations which it spread, I saw a girl adorned with a garland of white roses about her head for some great festival, running along the solitary strand with extremity of haste. Her running was the running of panic, and often she looked back as to some dreadful enemy in the rear, but when I leapt ashore and followed on her steps to warn her of a peril, in front, alas. From me she fled as from another peril, and vainly I shouted 
to her of quicksands that lay ahead. Faster and faster she ran. Round a promontory of rocks she wheeled out of sight. In an instant I also wheeled round it, but only to see the treacherous sands gathering above her head. Already her person was buried. Only the fair young head and the diadem of white roses around it were still visible to the pitying heavens. And last of all was visible one marble arm. I saw by the early twilight this fair young head as it was sinking down to darkness, saw this marble arm as it rose above her head in her treacherous grave, tossing, faltering, rising, clutching as at some false deceiving hand stretched out from the clouds, saw this marble arm uttering her dying hope and then her dying despair, the head, the diadem, the arm. These all had sunk. At last over these also the cruel quicksand had closed, and no memorial of the fair young girl remained on earth except my own solitary tears and the funeral bells from the desert seas that, rising again more softly, sang a requiem over the grave of the buried child and over her blighted dawn. I sate and wept in secret the tears that men have ever given to the memory of those that died before the dawn and by the treachery of earth, our mother. But the tears and funeral bells were hushed suddenly by a shout as of many nations, and by a roar as from some great king's artillery, advancing rapidly along the valleys, and heard afar by its echoes among the mountains. Hush, I said, as I bent my ear earthwards to listen. Hush, this either is the very anarchy of strife or else. And then I listened more profoundly, and said as I raised my head, Or else, O oh heavens, it is victory that swallows up all strife. 4. Immediately, in trance, I was carried over land and sea to some distant kingdom and placed upon a triumphal car, amongst companions crowned with laurel. The darkness of gathering midnight, brooding over all the land, hid from us the mighty crowds that were weaving restlessly about our carriage as a center. We heard them, but we saw them not. Tidings had arrived within an hour of a grandeur that measured itself against centuries, too full of pathos they were, too full of joy that acknowledged no fountain but God, to utter themselves by other language than by tears, by restless anthems, by reverberations rising from every choir of the Gloria in Excelsis. These tidings we that sate upon the laurelled car had it for our privilege to publish amongst all nations, and already by signs audible through the darkness, by snortings and tramplings, our angry horses that knew no fear of fleshly weariness abraded us with delay. Wherefore was it that we delayed? We waited for a secret word that should bear witness to the hope of nations as now accomplished forever. At midnight the secret word arrived, which word was Waterloo and recovered Christendom. The dreadful word shone by its own light. Before us it went, high above our leaders' heads it rode, and spread a golden light over the paths which we traversed. Every city at the presence of the secret word threw open its gates to receive us. The rivers were silent as we crossed. All the infinite forests, 
as we ran along their margins, shivered in homage to the secret word, and the darkness comprehended it. Two hours after midnight we reached a mighty minster. Its gates, which rose to the clouds, were closed. But when the dreadful word that rode before us reached them with its golden light, silently they moved back upon their hinges, and at a flying gallop our equipage entered the grand aisle of the cathedral. Headlong was our pace, and at every altar in the little chapels and oratories to the right hand and left of our course the lamps, dying or sickening, kindled anew in sympathy with the secret word that was flying past. Forty leagues we might have run in the cathedral, and as yet no strength of morning light had reached us, when we saw before us the aerial galleries of the organ and the choir. Every pinnacle of the fretwork, every station of advantage amongst the traceries, was crested by white-robed choristers that sang deliverance, that wept no more tears, as once their fathers had wept, but at intervals that sang together to the generation, saying, Chant the deliverer's praise in every tongue, and receiving answers from afar, such as once in heaven and earth were sung, and of their chaunting was no end. Of our headlong pace was neither pause nor remission. Thus, as we ran like torrents, thus, as we swept with bridal rapture over the Campo Santo, Note. It is probable that most of my readers will be acquainted with the history of the Campo Santo at Pisa, composed of earth brought from Jerusalem for a bed of sanctity, as the highest prize which the noble piety of crusaders could ask or imagine. There is another Campo Santo at Naples, formed, however, I presume, on the example given by Pisa. Possibly the idea may have been more extensively copied, to readers who are unacquainted with England, or who, being English, are yet unacquainted with the cathedral cities of England, it may be right to mention that the graves within side the cathedrals often form a flat pavement over which carriages and horses might roll, and perhaps a boyish remembrance of one particular cathedral, across which I had seen passengers walk and burdens carried, may have assisted my dream. End of note as we swept with bridal rapture over the Campo Santo of the cathedral graves, suddenly we became aware of a vast necropolis rising upon the far-off horizon, a city of sepulchres built within the saintly cathedral for the warrior dead that rested from their feuds on earth. Of purple granite was the necropolis, yet in the first minute it lay like a purple stain upon the horizon, so mighty was the distance. In the second minute, it trembled through many changes, growing into terraces and towers of wondrous altitude. So mighty was the pace. In the third minute already, with our dreadful gallop, we were entering its suburbs. Vast sarcophagi rose on every side, having towers and turrets that upon the limits of the central aisle strode forward with haughty intrusion that ran back with mighty shadows into answering recesses. Every sarcophagus showed many bas-reliefs, bas-reliefs of ballets, bas-reliefs of battlefields, of battlefields from forgotten ages, of battles from yesterday, of battlefields that long since nature had 
healed and reconciled to herself with the sweet oblivion of flowers, of battlefields that were yet angry and crimson with carnage. Where the terraces ran, there did we run. Where the towers curved, there did we curve. With the flight of swallows our horses swept round every angle. Like rivers in flood wheeling round headlands, like hurricanes that sighed into the secrets of the forests. Faster than ever, light unwove the mazes of darkness. Our flying equipage carried earthly passions, kindled warrior instincts. Amongst the dust that lay around us, dust oftentimes of our noble fathers that had slept in God from Crecy to Trafalgar. And now had we reached the last sarcophagus, now we abreast the last bas-relief. Already had we recovered the arrow-like flight of the illimitable central isle, when coming up this isle to meet us we beheld a female infant that rode in a carriage as frail as flowers. The mists which went before her hid the fawns that drew her, but could not hide the shells and tropic flowers with which she played, but could not hide the lovely smiles by which she uttered her trust in the mighty cathedral, and in the cherubim that looked down upon her from the topmast shafts of its pillars. Face to face she was meeting us, face to face she rode as if danger there were none. Oh, baby, I exclaimed, shalt thou be the ransom for Waterloo? Must we that carry tidings of great joy to every people be messengers of ruin to thee? In horror I rose at the thought, but then also in horror at the thought rose one that was sculpted in the bas-relief, a dying trumpeter. Solemnly from the field of battle he rose to his feet, and unslinging his stony trumpet, carried it in his dying anguish to his stony lips, sounding once and yet again proclamation that in thy ears, O baby, must have spoken from the battlements of death. Immediately deep shadows fell between us, an aboriginal silence, the choir had ceased to sing, the hoofs of our horses, the rattling of our harness alarmed the graves no more. By horror the bas-reliefs had been unlocked into life. By horror we, that were so full of life, we men and our horses, with their fiery forelegs rising in mid-air to their everlasting gallop, were frozen to a bas-relief. Then a third time the trumpet sounded, the seals were taken off all pulses, Life and the frenzy of life tore into their channels again. Again the choir burst forth in sunny grandeur, as from the muffling of storms and darkness. Again the thunderings of our horses carried temptation into the graves. One cry burst from our lips as the clouds, drawing off from the isle, showed it empty before us. Whither has the infant fled? Is the young child caught up to God? Lo, afar off, in a vast recess rose three mighty windows to the clouds, and on a level with their summits, at height insuperable to man, rose an altar of purest alabaster. On its eastern face was trembling a crimson glory. Whence came that? Was it from the reddening dawn that now streamed through the windows? Was it from the crimson robes of the martyrs that were painted on the windows? Was it from the bloody bas-reliefs of earth? Whencesoever it were, there within that crimson radiance, 
suddenly appeared a female head and then a female figure it was the child now grown up to woman's height clinging to the horns of the altar there she stood sinking rising trembling fainting raving despairing and behind the volume of incense that night and day streamed upwards from the altar was seen the fiery font and dimly was descried the outline of the dreadful being that should baptize her with baptism of death but by her side was kneeling her better angel that hid his face with wings that wept and pleaded for her that prayed when she could not that fought with heaven by tears for her deliverance which also as he raised his immortal countenance from his wings i saw by the glory in his eyes that he had won at last five then rose the agitation spreading through the infinite cathedral to its agony then was completed the passion of the mighty fugue the golden tubes of the organ which as yet had but sobbed and muttered at intervals gleaming amongst clouds and surges of incense threw up as from fountains unfathomable columns of heart-shattering music choir and anti-choir were filling fast with unknown voices thou also dying trumpeter with thy love that was victorious and thy anguish that was finishing didst enter the tumult trumpet and echo farewell love and farewell anguish rang through the dreadful sanctus we that spread flight before us heard the tumult as of flight mustering behind us in fear we looked round for the unknown steps that in flight or in pursuit were gathering upon our own who were these that followed the faces which no man could count whence were they o oh, darkness of the grave i exclaimed that from the crimson altar and from the fiery font wert visited with secret light that wert searched by the effulgence in the angel's eye were these indeed thy children pomps of life that from the burials of centuries rose again in the voice of perfect joy could it be ye that had wrapped me in the reflux of panic what ailed me that i should fear when the triumphs of earth were advancing ah pariah heart within me that couldst never hear the sound of joy without sullen whispers of treachery and ambush that from six years old didst never hear the promise of perfect love without seeing aloft amongst the stars fingers as of a man's hand writing the secret legend ashes to ashes dust to dust wherefore shouldst thou not fear though all men should rejoice lo as i look back for seventy leagues through the mighty cathedral and saw the quick and the dead that sang together to god together that sang to the generations of man ah raving as of torrents that opened on every side trepidation as of female and infant steps that fled ah rushing as of wings that chase but i heard a voice from heaven which said let there be no reflux of panic let there be no more fear and no more sudden death cover them with joy as the tides cover the shore that heard the children of the choir that heard the children of the grave all the hosts of jubilation made ready to move like armies that ride in pursuit they moved with one step 
us that with laurelled heads were passing from the cathedral through its eastern gates they overtook and as with a garment they wrapped us around with thunders that overpowered our own as brothers we moved together to the skies we rose to the dawn that advanced to the stars that fled rendering thanks to god in the highest that having hid his face through one generation behind thick clouds of war once again was ascending was ascending from waterloo in the visions of peace rendering thanks for thee young girl whom having overshadowed with this ineffable passion of death suddenly did god relent suffered thy angel to turn aside his arm and even in thee sister unknown shown to me for a moment only to be hidden forever found an occasion to glorify his goodness a thousand times amongst the phantoms of sleep has he shown thee to me standing before the golden dawn and ready to enter its gates with the dreadful word going before thee with the armies of the grave behind thee shown thee to me sinking rising fluttering fainting but then suddenly reconciled adoring a thousand times has he followed thee in the worlds of sleep through storms through desert seas through the darkness of quicksands through fugues and the persecution of fugues through dreams and the dreadful resurrections that are in dreams only that at the last with one motion of his victorious arm he might record and emblazon the endless resurrection of his love. End of the Vision of Sudden Death, Part 2